Let's pray about our passage. Let's bow. Holy God, our Father, and we're so grateful that you speak to us in your word. And we pray that just as your Holy Spirit came and inspired Matthew the Evangelist to remember these words of Jesus and to write them down for the benefit of the churches, Lord, we pray that your same Holy Spirit would come right now upon us and open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us. We'll give you the thanks and praise, Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome this morning to all, and we give a warm welcome to those in the community center and watching online. Welcome to all of us. I'm so glad to be back with all of you. Uh, we love you a great deal, Evelyn and I, and uh, we keep you in our prayers constantly. I also noticed going back to the vestry in the room back here that there's still one of my ties hanging up. <laughs> That's really good to see, although it, it is kind of an ugly tie. I see why I left it behind. But our family's doing well. We're living in Northeast Ohio, and I pastor a church there, and I teach in a seminary. And we're surrounded by, um, it's kind of horse country. We're surrounded by stables and estates, and we love that about it. We have um, our daughter designed and built a, a little barn about 30 steps from our back door, and we have two miniature horses in it. And they're really cute guys. They look kind of like merry-go-round horses. So it's a beautiful place. We've had uh, some ups and downs in health in our family this year, but the Lord's good, and he takes care of us. One of the health concerns uh, this year was my brother Jeff. He had um, just had brain surgery, a second brain surgery, to control seizures. And the first time Jeff had surgery was um, way back when I was in high school, and he went to Montreal to have some scar tissue removed from his brain. Well, it was an important operation. I wanted to be with him, and so I made plans to fly there from Vancouver. Well, I didn't have a car, at least since I totaled my 68 Mustang in my freshman year. And so I hitchhiked from Longview all the way up to Vancouver. Now, that's about a four-hour drive, I guess, four-and-a-half-hour drive. And I had allotted about... Uh, 13, 12, 13, 14 hours to get up there, and I thought it'd be fine. Well, there I was at the end of the day at the border, and I had about an hour left before my flight, so I was getting nervous. All of a sudden, a Corvette pulled up, and the guy offered me a ride, and I told him where I was going, and he said, lucky for you, I work for the airline. And he said, I'll, I'll get you on that flight. And so he drove me to the airport. He parked in employee parking, and he ran me straight to the ticket counter, and five minutes before we took off, I was on the plane. That's mercy. <laughs> We're in a series this summer talking about encounters with the real Jesus. And the encounter this morning is from one of the great stories of Scripture, one of Jesus' great parables, talking about what the, the great judgment's going to be. Jesus' public ministry comes to an end with this story. He opened his public ministry in the Beatitudes talking about mercy. And here he closes his public teaching ministry talking about mercy again. Makes you think it's pretty important for the Christian life. Jesus had said, blessed are the merciful and they shall obtain mercy. And now as he closes off his teaching ministry, he shows how the mercy that we show is going to make a difference in eternity. Now, the passage this morning is a picture of the coming judgment. It tells us that there's going to be 
on earth one day a great day of reckoning, a great accounting. In the end, there's no escaping the consequences of sin. What seems to be done behind closed doors, it's not closed to the Lord. He sees all. It kind of reminds us of the Apostle Paul's words, judge nothing before the appointed time until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. See, God is, is holy. God can't abide wrongdoing. But what about God's mercy? We want to think of His mercy, don't we? Well, mercy on the part of God is His miracle of grace. It's that although sin has to be punished for the person who trusts in Jesus Christ, their sins were punished on the cross where Jesus took the hit for us. He stood judgment in our place. When you think about it that way, at the end of the day, there's only two kinds of people. People who, who accept Christ, who receive Jesus, who paid the price for their sins, and people who are going to pay the price for their own sins. Two kinds of people. That's the fundamental choice for all of us. The coming judgment is universal, and it's irreversible, and the king who does the judging is absolutely authoritative. By the way, that's one of the big themes of Matthew's gospel. Maybe the top two, I think, are authority and surprise. And those keep coming out in Matthew's gospel. There's certainly a surprise here, isn't there? And who gets judged and who we discover when we serve those in need. And it also demonstrates Jesus' absolute authority. You know, that's not really a surprise, in a sense, to get to this story when you think about the authority that Jesus demonstrates all the way through the gospel. He's the one in charge. And Matthew keeps bringing home the theme of Jesus' kingship. Remember in chapter 1, Herod was afraid because he heard Jesus had been born king of the Jews. The wise men offered gifts fit for a king. In the temptation, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And, of course, they really are Jesus anyway. In the Jesus, the son of David, it's a royal title. And he tells the story now about uh, the king. Jesus is entitled to all of it. The gospel even ends with Jesus' words, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Is it any wonder he's coming again to judge the living and the dead? He's coming in glory. See, the first time Jesus came in humility, he was born in a barn, came to suffer. In his second coming, he's coming in glory with all of his radiant splendor, all of his majesty. The heart of the matter is really how we actually get into the kingdom. Jesus shows us when he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of the world. Now notice the basis for getting into the kingdom. There's only one way. It's not by doing good works. It's not by earning it. None of us can. The way into the kingdom is to be blessed by the Father. He's the source of salvation. Jesus is saying, you enter the kingdom because you trust in me. Come on in. It's been prepared for you. That is, it's not something we do. It's something the Lord has done for us. That means our salvation is secure. That means we have a home in heaven with Jesus because we inherit everything that he inherits on the basis of his work 
And the good works of compassion or mercy that we show, those are really an indication of what He's already done in us. See, we're saved by God's absolute undeserved kindness, not by what we do. But every true Christian knows that when you receive God's grace, you give it away. We're blessed in order to be a blessing. Paul writes in Ephesians, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, for it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we're we're saved. We're taken into God's family. We're given an eternal home to look forward to, not because we do good works to others. But when we're saved, that always, always finds expression in our lives. It does if it's real. We love because God first loved us. What makes the difference is how we treat others, the love we show, the mercy we demonstrate. So Jesus says in our passage for this morning, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came and visited me. Jesus says that our future, our eternal future, comes down to how we respond to Him. Even serving others really is secretly service to Him. Well, I see three lessons in the story for us today. First, we need to have compassion for believers. We need to have compassion for believers. He means for us to care for one another in the church. It's one of the things I love so much about, about you guys is the care the commitment to to nurture the body of Christ. The king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, just like you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, my sisters, you did for me. His brothers and sisters are fellow disciples in the family of God. Matthew records in another place, and stretching his hand out towards them, his disciples, Jesus said, Here are my mother and brothers, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that one is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus uses the term brothers in this passage. He's talking about disciples, at least in one of the senses. That's consistent with what Paul writes. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of God. So Jesus intends for us to care for Him as we care for one another. When He says our eternal destiny rides on whether we show compassion for the least, His brothers, He means that serving His disciples, that's really serving Him. It's what He's getting at in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of water in My name because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will in no means, in no way, lose his reward. That means if you're really a Christian, you'll show compassion to Christians because they belong to Jesus. It's one of the ways that we show our faith is real. It's it's why it's a matter of heaven and hell. At the end of the day, it's a matter of life and death. That's what James was talking about when he said, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. 
but does nothing about his physical needs, well, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, when not accompanied by action, is dead. If we don't show love, mercy, compassion to our brothers and sisters, then our faith is dead. And we're not followers of Jesus after all, so we have to apply the ministry of compassion to believers. That's what families do. Second, we need to have compassion for unbelievers too. It's not enough to care for our Christian brothers and sisters and forget those on the outside who are hurting. We're not off the hook. Jesus said if we only serve those who know Him, we're no different than unbelievers. If you only love people in your tribe, well, you're only concerned about their suffering. You're being just like an unbeliever. Listen to what Jesus says about that from Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the, the good and the evil. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Be perfect, He sums up, even as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. Talk about a challenge. What's He getting at? Well, the word there... Perfect in that passage is teleos. It's a sense of being complete, of fulfilling its purpose. Jesus is really saying, be indiscriminate with your love. Show it to the outsider just like you show it to the insider. That will complete the purpose for which the Lord has called you. That's why if you're really disciples of Jesus, then you'll show compassion to some suffering people because they're followers of Jesus. They're members of the family. We'll also show compassion to other people because they're not followers of Jesus because they need to know His love. They need to come into a relationship with Christ. We'll be like our Heavenly Father, indiscriminate with our love, who shows compassion, sends His good blessings of sun and rain, both on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what happens when we love both God's children and the outsider. That means we do good to Him. It's not always easy to do that. When the needs of the world are so overwhelming, all you have to do is look at the TV or the computer and you see the suffering is as far away as Haiti or the Sudan or Chile or North Korea or a city hit by a tornado or whatever it might be. We see the problems of our own cities. It's always present. Jesus told us you'll always have the poor with you. You can't even take a walk in an American city without running into the homeless, the drunk, the addicted, the mentally ill. One time I was walking in a downtown and I passed a woman and her eyes met for a moment and suddenly she stopped and started to yell at me. She followed me down the block as I kept on going and she was shrieking and screaming and to think that was my wife. No, not really. What are we supposed to do to help folks like that? Sometimes it's just tough to know how to help, isn't it? Jesus didn't say it would be easy. He simply said, love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And then he died and he rose again so that that kind of compassion, that kind of new living would be possible for us. 
See, we show mercy to Christians because we see Jesus in them. We show mercy to non-Christians because they desperately need him. And in some strange way, the Savior is already present and at work in them. We come to see it in their point of need. Either way, we should be known of the quality of our mercy for others. Another thing about feeding people, giving them clothes, visiting them in prison, those things aren't very complicated, are they? You don't need a seminary degree to to understand those things. Every one of us can do something to reach out. That's what our Lord's calling us to do. The third thing is we need to see people like God sees them. A good place to start with all of this is to ask God to give us the, the eyes of Jesus. And when we do that, we'll see Jesus right in front of us and we'll be on our way to caring for him like he does. I saw this kind of compassion one time when I led a a mission team from here down to Guatemala in service. We went to a slum outside of Guatemala City, and there must have been tens of thousands, maybe a 100,000 people living in a slum that sort of tumbled down the hill, and it was a grim place, shacks. There was uh, an open sewer running through the middle of it. There was smoke from burning trash that stung your eyes. We were going to visit a young widow that uh, we had sponsored, and she lived in a 10-foot square house. The only place to sit was on her bed. We were talking with her when her little son came through the door struggling with a, a crate of soda. She had sent him to buy that as a treat for us, just to say thank you, to show her love for us. She wanted to show hospitality, even though it cost her most of what she had to live on for the week. See, we went there thinking we were doing her a favor and serving her. We ended up seeing in her the love Jesus has for us. I think it comes down to this love that we, the mercy that we show is sacrificial. It's self-giving care that helps some people know Jesus and and to, to value him above everything else. And love tries, no matter what the cost, to bring people into that kind of joyful relationship. The passion for God through Jesus. And when we do that, we see Him in a new way ourselves. Because come judgment day, when you're brought before the Lord, will He say, Blessed, blessed child, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. You belong here because your life has been a demonstration of, of my love at work in you. You belong here because you show. That's the central question of our life. What are you doing to show Jesus? Because when you care for somebody else in need, you're really caring for Jesus. I had someone to to take care of me and to guide me when I really needed help to get on that plane to Montreal. We need somebody with the authority and the ability to guide us as we serve others so we don't go alone. Think about it. Our Lord Jesus' very last words to his disciple, All authority, yes, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Go therefore, and look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Eternity is going to play out in a couple places. You and I are going to be in either one or the other, and it's not what a person does that endangers the status of their soul. It's what they don't do. So come to Jesus in faith, and then show his love to others. And when you do, you'll be showing love for him. Let's pray. 
Holy God, we thank you for this story from our, our Lord, and we thank you for the, the power of your love. And we ask that you would help this to sink down deep inside, that we might make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen.